looking at 1 John chapter 3. I want to begin in verse 28 of chapter 2. The very first week we started this was our uh, a Christmas week, and I, I want to just begin to encourage you. Remember, we, we, this is a holiday season. I want you to think about it in this way. And I want you to, as we have a couple, a couple of weeks now, you, you've probably, some of you are already familiar with how you would fill in this blank, but ask this question, what really makes Christmas for you? What really makes Christmas, the season, the celebration, what makes it for you? As if to say, like, it's not Christmas without this thing. And we want to read in 1 John chapter 3, looking at what we think the Bible teaches us actually is the essence and meaning of this thing we celebrate as the incarnation, that is the, the becoming of flesh of God with us. Beginning in verse 28. And now, little children, abide in him, that is Christ, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us. That we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not... Excuse me, but... and. <laughs> Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. And no one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one does not love his brother. For the last few weeks, we've been looking that, in essence, regardless of what anyone might tell you Christmas is, the Apostle John wants to tell you that it is not Christmas without destruction. It is not a meaningful celebration of the coming of God to be with us and for us and baby Jesus until we realize that Christmas is what it is because God wanted to destroy something. God looked at the way things were, and he wanted something removed. He wanted something crushed, to use the language of Genesis. And that reason that we celebrate this thing called Christmas is that God wanted to destroy it and sent Jesus to accomplish that task. So two weeks ago, we saw that Jesus 
is, has landed a conquering invasion. And we are now more than conquerors through him. And we are being led now in triumphal procession, a victory march, if you will. A, a, he would have thought of the picture of a, a Roman triumph. We, we, are, we are in a procession in which God is being glorified by basically rubbing the defeat of the enemy in his nose. Just simply walking through, and we are in triumphal procession behind victorious Jesus. Last week we saw that now since he has landed this invasion and victory is sure, we now join him in his campaign of sabotage over sin. As we begin to strive towards holiness and purity we see here, but also practicing of righteousness. Throwing off that which is not of God and putting on that which is. And this week I want to show you that we we see these, we've been trying to kind of like ex- extrapolate some principles from this. First one, there's a destruction of the enemy. The second one is that now we, we are a part of this beautiful thing. We saw this, that literally the enemy invites us to join him in rebellion, and Jesus invites us to join him in triumphal procession over the enemy. We become saboteurs of the work of the enemy. We, since Jesus destroys sin, we spend our lives fighting sin and practicing righteousness. But lastly, you see another principle, and that is the imitation or the growing in the likeness of Jesus. Did you catch that? We see Jesus as he truly is. Right now, he says, look, we don't really know just yet exactly what will be because he hasn't returned to make all things completely new. He came to destroy sin, death, and hell, and he's going to come back and destroy and remove all suffering. So right now we're in this in-between place where Jesus is victorious. D-Day, the landed invasion has happened, but V-Day hasn't quite happened yet. And we're in this in-between place where we can now see the end of what was and the beginning of what will be. And Jesus is the, the marker of this, right? So that the, what was death, hell, sin at, that lords over us, we see the end of it. Jesus announced the end of it as he rises victorious on Easter. And we begin to see the end, but it's not quite there, is it? Like, we still live in a broken, fallen world, and the effects of it still exist. And yet, at the same time, we see the beginning of what will be in his resurrection. And the more that we see him, the more we realize what will be. We're God's children, and even though we don't quite know what it's going to be like, it's hard to describe what it will be like when we're made completely in his likeness, we know that when he does appear, we shall be like him because... Why will we be like him? Because we will see him as he is. There is something about seeing Jesus as he truly is that messes you up. There is something about who Jesus is that demands something of you. And we push on this on a regular basis because he's saying, look, if you see, I mean, really see Jesus, it will mess you up. And the way I try to encourage you on a regular basis, there is no way to remain indifferent with Jesus. Postmodernism comes along and says, no, no, we just want to fight the urge to, to make positive assertions. We just ask lots of good questions. You think that's creative, but that was invented uh, long before you. There's nothing new under the sun. But one of the guys who made that particular, uh, that particular posture and that particular philosophy famous with respect to Jesus was a man by the name of Pontius Pilate. And they were like, hey, is Jesus who he says he is or is he not? And he says, you know what? I'm just going to sit back. In fact, I'm going to wash my hands of what's about to happen. And his standing back was a way of saying and asserting and planting a flag about Jesus. 
Make no mistake, there's no way you can see Jesus as he truly is and be indifferent. You will either love him, serve him, and worship him as Lord, or you will hate him and fight against him forever. And the only people who think they can stay in the middle, I would argue, don't actually know Jesus. The people who think they can remain indifferent or apathetic about Jesus have not actually heard anything about Jesus. They've never actually read anything that Jesus said. They've never actually considered what Jesus claimed. One of my favorite authors would put it this way. He's either, right, he's either liar, a lunatic, or he's Lord. And make no mistake about it, it confronts us. He says, when you see him, when you see him as he really is, it messes with you. It rips up your political affiliations. We saw this in the book of Acts. People started, they're like, look, there's, all these Christians are saying that, there's, that Caesar's actually not Lord, but that Jesus is. And they started a riot. And it confronts your sensibility. And that thing that you're currently using to find meaning and to find hope, and you, you put all your identity, you've invested everything you have into that thing, Jesus comes along and says, that actually won't work. That will actually fail you. And he offers you something different. Don't miss that. When he says, when we see him, it will change us. You can't stay the same and see Jesus. If you find yourself hearing a lot about Jesus, listening to me talk about Jesus loudly or passionately, and that doesn't bother you, I want to encourage you, you haven't, you haven't been listening. You haven't actually heard or seen Jesus. Because when you do, it moves you. It changes you. He says that, the stone that was rejected has now become the capstone, the cornerstone. It has become the most important thing. And on it, this stone, it becomes a means of offense. And you will either see Jesus as a cornerstone by which you will find, find joy and hope by building your life around his perfection, or you will be crushed on him. And when you see that, it changes you. So if you're in this room and, and maybe you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, I'm really glad you're here. I want you to kind of, as I hope you'll be a good eavesdropper, to listen uh, to as, we, as we talk about what it is that Jesus calls us to be and to do. And I want you, I want you to hear it on its merit. I don't want to soft sell you this. I want you to see Jesus as he really is because I don't want you to leave thinking that you can be indifferent to who Jesus is. Instead, we, I, want, I want to invite you into seeing him as he is and then, and then just feel the effects of it. As you behold Jesus, I just want you to stop and go, wow, what, what is it that is, is stirred up in me as I behold Jesus? So we will be like him. We saw two weeks ago, he's landed the invasion to destroy the enemy. Last week we saw we've joined him in putting sin to death. But now we find this, as if we really look like him because we behold him, we'll find this. As we truly behold Jesus, we look more and more like him. And as we look more and more like him, we join his mission of being sacrificially sent and sacrificially sending. It's not Christmas without destruction. Jesus is a landed invasion here. Jesus has come to accomplish something. One of the marks of it you see at the very beginning. It says that evidently there's a, there's a foreignness, there is a, a separation, a clear distinction, a dividing line between the world and Jesus and his people that look like him. Did you catch that? This is the love that we have. God's called us children of God. He looked at us and he's chosen us. And even, as, even our undeserving, undeserving, unmerited state, he says, that's the one I want. But then he, he, he clarifies that. Don't, don't mistake like, oh, I'm one of God's children. Everything's going to be awesome now. No, he says, look, you're one of my children. 
But the reason now why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. So if we are children of God, we begin to have a distinction from the world. So just stop right there. This, this, is, this already is a confrontation I don't want you to miss. I want you to hear the Christian gospel here. Your greatest ideal of fitting in will hold you from joy in Christ. Your, your greatest, like if you come to the table and you're like, I, I'm so terrified of losing a sense of comfort and approval from the people around you. I want you to know that thing, that worship, that we would call that an idol, that exaltation of approval will keep you from seeing Jesus as he truly is. And it will rob you of joy. It will rob you from being a son of God. And it will leave you, as we see here, a family at the end, verse 9 and 10, of the enemy. Don't miss that. You don't get hung on a cross by fitting in. You don't get hung on a cross by telling people things that they want to hear. Please don't miss that. One of the first outstanding radical offenses of Christ that again leaves us unable to remain apathetic is the cross. Had Jesus come and told a bunch of people what they already wanted to hear, confirmed their suspicions, patted them on the back, keep doing what you're doing, don't change a thing, love everything about you, then the cross wouldn't make sense. You get hung on a cross by offending people in the deepest possible way. Right? It's one thing to offend someone where they don't like you, give you the silent treatment, block you. It is a whole other offense for them to want to kill you, convince all their friends to agree with you, start a mob, and then actually kill you publicly. Don't miss that. There is a distinction. He says the world did not know him. There were those that loved and followed him, because they saw him in his resurrected self, and there are those that heard what he had to say and were completely offended to the point that they killed him. And so also, we are invited into this. This mission that Jesus has, has, has landed here is now our mission. He was radically and selflessly sent, and now we also are sent. In this great high priestly prayer in John chapter 17, we see this. He's, he's, I, I, I commend this to you. I, I, if you want to think about how to pray, John 17 is a great place to, to, to begin to learn how to pray prayers that aren't like self-absorbed and, and self-serving, but they're God-glorifying. And at the end of his prayer, he says, Jesus says, I, I do not ask that you take them out of the world. Did you catch that? Same, same picture. Right? My, my hope isn't that they would be like the world, but also it, it's not that they would be like taken from the world, Right? In the end, our greatest hope is in Christ, and we have a, a foretaste of that hope now, but it's not such that we were out of the world instead, but that you keep them from the evil one. Did you catch that? They remain in the world, but that they are fighting against the, en the enemy, the evil one. Verse 16, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sounds, again, John, 1 John 3 is just picking up on a, a theme in Scripture. So now sanctify them in the truth. Did you catch that? We already saw this last week. We look more and more like Jesus. We put off what is sin because he's helping us defeat it. We put on practicing of righteousness and the word that is truth causes this. And then at the very end, he says this. As you, speaking to the Father, Jesus says, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent him into the world. Get that picture as we look more and more like Jesus. It sounds like this. 
Jesus says, as with me, so also with you. As with me, so also with you. As you look more and more like me, Jesus says, all right, the things that are true about me become more and more true about you. As with me, so also with you. Leslie Newbegin summarizes this sending God. That Jesus says, look, as you sent me, I'm going to send them. The church is not meant to call men and women out of the world into a safe religious enclave, but to call them out in order to send them back as agents of God's kingship. Don't miss that. For some of you in the room, um, as I say, you know, if you're not a believer in this room, if you're not a Christian, you, you sit back comfort, comfortably for a moment and you think, well, since I've been raised in the church and been surrounded by the teaching of people who call themselves Christians, I know, what, I know what's going on here. And I want to push you, don't, don't miss this. Most of the people who were born and raised in the church were actually born and raised into this culture. Come over here, be safe. Separate yourself from people. Separate yourself from the world. That's the purpose of the church, to just to be a, I love it, what a beautiful word, a religious enclave. <laughs> A little, a little conference, if you will, of religiosity. But he says that's not, that's not the case. As with me, so also with you. Jesus forsaking the comfort of being in the presence, the unmitigated, unbridled presence of his Father, abandoned all that was perfect to be with us and for us in the mud. As with me then, so with you. But I want you to see what, as I've kind of showed you this the last couple of weeks, we've tried to kind of pull out some principles from this. And here's the third one, is that what he's talking about in 1 John 3 isn't new. It's in fact the story of the entire Bible. I want you to think on this, as we walk through some of this, as God encounters, God sends. Every time God encounters, God sends. From the very beginning, Genesis chapter 1, we see this picture of God creating a people in his own image and then commanding them, multiply. Take this image that I've entrusted into them and I've imprinted into you and multiply it. Don't keep it and hide it. He says, take it now, multiply it. Be fruitful and multiply. And this trajectory carries on for the rest of the Bible. Even as they rebel against God, we see a few chapters later, God says, all right, I'm going, instead of giving up on them and destroying them, which is what you or I probably would do if we were God, we see a picture of him saying, look, I'm going to be with you and for you, and I'm going to teach you what I'm like by calling a people to myself. And so in chapter 12, he makes a promise to a person by the name of Abram. And he says to Abram, verse 1, go. As God encounters, God sends. This is what happens. Multiply, he says to Adam and Eve. They rebel, and then the next time he, the first, this is the first time Abram has a, like a face-to-face encounter with God. This is the first time he's actually encountered him. And when he sees God for who he is, he's sent. The Lord says to Abram, go from your country. Go from your kindred. Go from your father's house. You hear that? All those, all those comforts, all those things that we would exalt as good things. He says, leave them. You, you, want, you want friends? You want to build a group of people who look, talk, and act like you? Leave them. You cannot see God and remain the same. As you meet God, encounter him, he sends you away from that which is comfortable. The the whole point is this. He's like, look, I'm going to be enough for you such that you don't need these creature comforts anymore. 
Go away from these things. Go away from your family. Go away from the land. Go from all the things familiar to you. And then what does he say in verse 2? And I will make you a great nation. And then I will bless you and then make your name great. In order that, so that, this is the purpose. Not because you're awesome. Not because you're a snowflake. It's because he's great. Look at this. I will bless you and I will make your name great. And part of you just got really excited. I'm awesome. God thinks I'm awesome. He's going to make my name great. No, so that, in order that, you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whom dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God never encounters anyone without sending them, and he blesses them to be a blessing. In the same way, remember, like, take the image, multiply it. Let people glorify me through it. It carries on. In Exodus chapter 3, our friend Moses and now behold, he meets with God. Same thing. This is his first face-to-face encounter. He's on Mount Sinai. He has this miraculous and weird, mysterious revelation of God in a burning bush. It's on fire, but it doesn't burn up. And now behold, the Lord says, he says, Behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. I love that picture of God, right? God, a God who hears the cries of his people. A God who's not up there and out there, but a God who hears the cries of his people. And so listen, what does he do? What does he do with Moses? I've heard the cries of people. Now here's what I'm going to do with you. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Did you catch that? The first face-to-face encounter of Moses ends the same way. Come closer. Did you catch that? Come draw to me. Come closer. Come so I can send you out. I'll stop there for a moment. That sentence alone might radically alter your view of what the church is. As we gather around the gospel and then we scatter with the gospel. Right? We, gather, we gather together for warmth, huddle around this good news. But then we look behind us and see the cold and dying world and we scatter with that gospel. You can't have one without the other. You can't have one without the other. Look, come to me, gather closely, and I'll send you. I think what we find is this, an encounter with God destroys your consumer mentality. It turns you into a man or woman on a mission. It destroys it. Isaiah chapter 6, he encounters God in the same way. The first face-to-face encounter, he says, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I, did you hear that again? Send, send. What does God want to do? Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And then I said, Isaiah, he replies, here am I, send me. Now, I I put the rest of that just so you'll understand. A lot of people pull that little text out of context uh, and uh, and just butcher it. They, you know, maybe cross-stitch it and hang it on a window somewhere and don't realize what they're really signing up for. And God, as, as is the case, an encounter with God destroys our consumer mentality and sets us on a trajectory of mission. You can't encounter God without realizing that now we're being sent away. Every single person who does, this is what they get. And, and he said, just, just so you know, because people are like, they love to memorize that verse, and they just completely ignore the next six verses, which is what it is that Isaiah was signing up for. And they're like, here am I, send me. Like, I'm awesome. I'm, I'm G.I. Joe, I'm Superman. Send me in, I'm ready. And this is what, this is the message you're signing up for. Don't, don't miss this. It says, and, and he said, go, and make sure you say to the people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing but do not perceive. 
signing up for a mission, having, having this is remarkable, right? This, this is what kills our consumer tendencies. Because they're like, God's like, I, I want to bless these people. I'm going to send a word to them so that they would know I'm not out there, but I'm for them. And I'm going to send you as my messenger. And he goes, I'll go. And he says, okay, here's what you're going to tell them. All right, Isaiah, they're never going to listen to you. They're going to ignore you. They'll never fully understand what you're saying. They'll never fully see what you currently see. Make sure you know that I'm sending you on a mission that by every single practical purpose will seem like failure. By every physical measurement will seem like a complete and utter mistake. Go, I'm sending you to tell them, hey, you're probably not going to understand this. I want you to see that because some of you, maybe on the other half of the room, that some of you are like, oh no, I'm going to be called out of my comfort zone by encountering God. But the rest of you are like, yeah, let's do this. And, uh, and it's partially because you think you're awesome. And I, I want you, <laughs> there's, there's no more amazing thing that Jesus does here than fulfilling this prophecy, right? The people were confused. And the disciples were like, why, didn't, why doesn't everyone love you? And he goes, because this is how this is supposed to be. In fact, this is a fulfillment of a promise God made to Isaiah for these people. Look, they're going to hear, but not really. They're going to see, but not really. And that's why Jesus, on a regular basis, makes, makes sure that you know this is not going to make you popular. This is not going to make you awesome. And he says things like, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, why would he say that? Why would he say that unless that he knew there were some people who wouldn't hear? It doesn't stop there. We see this in an encounter in Jesus. Luke chapter 5, when Simon Peter, he was there in the boat, right? They were all fishing, and this guy Jesus walks up, and they're not getting any fish, and he says to Peter, hey, throw one more time. It's the end of the day. It's 5 o'clock, 5.15. You're ready to clock out, and Jesus goes, one more time. Hey, just trust me. Throw the nets on the other side, and they're like, who is this clown? And they go, fine, because he's not going away. And so they do it, and they throw the nets. And, and such an amazing and miraculous catch of fish happens in their nets that it starts to sink the boat. Peter immediately jumps out, and I love this. What a beautiful picture. Remember I told you, this radical encounter with God that messes you up? When Simon Peter saw it, that is this miraculous catch of fish, he fell down at Jesus' knees and says, oh, man, what, what, an, what a natural instinct. Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man. Did you catch, remember I told you, you can't, you can't remain indifferent. You can't see Jesus as he truly is and be unaffected. And one of the first things that it does, you, you see Jesus and his majesty, and you see your own frailty and fallenness. And his first reaction, he jumps on his knees and says, leave. I can't even stand to look at you. Every time I look at you, I remember how unworthy I am. Every time I see you and your power, I'm reminded of my powerlessness. Every time I see you strong and confident, I'm reminded of my own insecurity and fear. Apart from me, I'm a sinful man, O Lord. Verse 9, he says, For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. Verse 10, And so also were James and John and sons of Debedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. Did you catch that? He encountered this miraculous work and he was immediately sent. Don't, don't miss that theme there. Don't, you encounter Jesus and it destroys your consumer mentality. You can't see Jesus as he truly is and not be changed by it. 
and not be sacrificially sent. Now, I, I, don't, I, I want to stop for a minute here. This, this means that we're called together to resource ourselves, encourage ourselves. We, we have something Jesus has given us by virtue of seeing him as he truly is that now the world needs to hear. So if you're not a Christian in this room, I'm really glad you're here because we think you're here and it's not an accident. And we are unashamedly trying to point you to how good and majestic Jesus is. And we want you to see how good he is and join us in the mercy and hope that he gives. But for some of you, that may seem like a counterintuitive thing. Like there's, like you got to talk yourself into talking to people about Jesus, right? You're like, well, that's awkward. I'm going to have to tell people about Jesus and they're going to think I'm weird. And I want to encourage you, that, that's, that's, you're deceiving yourself. You see, you do this already. You see, what you behold, you sell already. The thing you really love, I love you, you won't shut up about. I mean, the thing you really love, even right now, you can't wait to get that thing that you love and you're really proud of, and the thing you find your identity, you can't wait to slip it into conversation sometime today. Right? For some of you, it means you're kind of like even uninvited, like kind of citing your own resume, where you went to school. Maybe, maybe I, I didn't even go to school. I'm a, you get it? That, whatever that thing is, you're looking, you're looking for a place to insert that into the conversation. And so when Jesus says, look, you've, you've seen me, you're being like me, and now you've got a message of me, I don't want you to think that that's a call to do anything other than what God's already created you to do to be a, a being that loves and desires. And the greatest fulfillment of a desire is the praise of the thing. I mean, a real love between a man and a woman is when they say, I don't care who knows, but we're going to be married. The culmination of that desire is actually the declaration of that desire. And so I shared this with you whenever I can. This was, uh, this was sent to me. And I want you to see this is what we do. And this was sent to me. Uh, by a person a few years ago. And, and just to this day, this is the best gospel presentation. This is the best, because right now you're like, well, how do I share this thing that Jesus has sent me to be? This is one of the best gospel presentations I've ever heard, and it was not about Jesus. This person sent me this text, and they said, hey, come to my house tonight at 7.30 if you can! Exclamation mark. We're excited. Hear the joy? Right? And I, I put a blank here, so you, I, I don't want to like impose a system on you or I'm not selling, I'm not asking you to be a part of my multi-level marketing. Here we go. I've, I've been on the blank system, you know, whatever, fill in the blank, whatever your system is. I'm not against you, okay? I've been on the blank system and listen to this and I've seriously never felt better. And I want to share it with everyone I love. I have some awesome team members in town and they want to share, share, share. Please come if you can. It's so fun. I mean, you laugh, but I want you to see you do this already. You share the good news of the thing that you love all the time. You do. Even if you're an introvert, you don't like to talk to people and you find yourself in a shy cocoon. You're sharing what you love, yourself. You're making it very clear what you really value, you. Heaven forbid someone infringe upon that. The rest of you, maybe more extroverted, you share what you love. Ever, ever ask a grandparent to see pictures of their grandkids and they say, no. 
rather not. They're kind of, I mean, like, have you ever? I mean, like, he's a genius. She's, she's magnificent. Isn't she beautiful? Like, yeah. And almost force you. You can't, you can't disagree. And you're not mad at them because all they're doing is inviting you to love the thing that they already love. In fact, they can't not do it. They can't hold it in. They're, they're like, <laughs> I can't wait to show pictures. I can't wait to see this. I can't wait. Like, social media has blown this up, all right? This is, you can't keep a secret anymore of what you really love because you're just like, oh, I have to post it. I love me, look. Here's me, the Statue of Liberty. Here, I mean, here's me with my family. Here's me. Like, heaven forbid you posted something, uh, not you. But, like, this, this, is, this is who we are. We know what we love. And if you're in this room and you're thinking, well, I, I don't know. I don't know about that. I don't know what this might cost me. And I want to encourage you. It's already costing you. Look, you're already annoying all the people around you with the thing you love. Now imagine if you started to bother them with something of eternal value. Imagine if what you started to overflow with was the result of a true encounter with God. Imagine what that would look like. You see, what we find here is that God never pulls you in but to send you out. God never pulls us towards himself but to send us out. That's how he wired us. The reason you love that thing and you always want to talk about it, right? That football team, or I don't, maybe it's not football for you, it's that band, right? Whatever that thing is that you have to talk about, that new gadget you got, you're like, oh, I dr- oh look, oh yeah, I did get a new one. Hmm. You're looking for opportunities for people to love you and adore you or adore that thing because you love it, and that's how God created you. Now run with it. I'm not asking you to stop being you. I'm asking you to encounter Jesus and actually run with something that's worth selling. Something that's actually worth giving to people. Jesus says, as with me, so also with you. Sending you out. But here's the second part of this. If we're not just called to be sacrificially sent, but also to be sacrificially sending. Not only do we, not only are we, are we, like called to himself, but there's a few things we see that God is going to do as he enables us and powers us to send. I say sacrificially because it's going to cost you. Don't miss that. That's the picture of becoming like Jesus. The more and more we look like Jesus, the more and more the world won't, won't recognize us. I, I, I say that. I want to like circle back to it just because I don't want to move away from it without reminding you. Jesus made it clear that that also includes your family. And I know right now, I know right now for some of you, having your eyes open to Jesus and to behold him as he really is, it scares you because you know exactly what your family is going to say. Wait, you really believe that? You really believe that? Don't, don't be surprised. You behold him. You may lose your family, but what he says, whatever you lose on my account, I'll return. It'll be worth it. You may lose this family, but I'll give you a supernatural family that'll never go away. We look more and more like him as we're sacrificially sent, but we also look more and more like him as we sacrificially send. Remember, as also with me, so also with you. As God sent me, now I'm sending you. Now, I love that. Jesus employs us into his mission, not because he needs us, but because he loves us. 
I share with, uh, this with you all the time. I, we, we have a lot of projects we do, and my daughters always want to help. And whenever they want to help, I'm going to put that in quotes, they want to help. And between you and me, the project gets more difficult. And when I'm being an unloving, self, you know, self-absorbed father, I'm like, just let me do it. But when I'm being loving and selfless, I make accommodation for them to help, even if it makes a mess. Right? Yeah, go paint, and I'll paint over the top of it. Or, hey, go, go give me that tool, even though it's, I mean, it's not going to be right. Run a, give, give a six-year-old like a 20-volt a impact driver. Get what you pay for, right? <laughs> I don't need their help, but I love them. So also, as Jesus being sent sends us out, he doesn't need our help. But he just knows that God's will be, God will be glorified greater when he sends us to do this. And we sacrificially send. And I want to end in a little bit of a different way. Not only have we been sent, but we are now set in a position to send. We are now to not just be sacrificially sent and have our consumer mentality wither away, but we are now sacrificial senders. So this is what this means. Our commitment as a church is to every single thing that you give, everything you invest in the life of our church, is to reflect this being sacrificially sent and sacrificially sending. Now, we're called to be on mission here. This is where God's put us. God's put us to love our neighbors, to love this city, and to look for every single opportunity we can leverage for the sake of pointing our neighbors and the people we love in our city towards the hope of Jesus. That's our hope. We're going to do that. That's what we're called to do. But that's not good enough. For us, we also want to be sacrificial senders. Remember, Jesus, as also with me, or as with me, so also with you. And so our commitment is every 10% of uh, everything that, that we get, that everything when we have an offering later here, 10% we, we will invest in church planting and missionary sending in North America and internationally, and even in our state. An additional 10% we will commit to church. We, ha- will, we have committed to church planting in our region. Now, serving church plants, we want to help plant church in Sturgis, uh, maybe even in Watertown, Minneapolis, and supporting a church plant in Lincoln, Nebraska. An additional 5% we would throw at other church plants and, and other networks and things, ministries in our city that we believe in. So every time you give, we really, th- this is a big deal for us. We don't just want to be sacrificially sent, we want to be sacrificial senders. We want to invest all that we have towards this. In 2017, of that percentage that we've committed to be generous with and let God do with what, what he will, it's not for us, we're going to, we gave away in 2017 $47,953.45. Now, I don't know how much you gave away when you were three and a half years old. But on Easter, we also want to commit everything, every undesignated gift. We commit to sending to church planters and missionaries in our continent. And on Christmas, we, just, we, we want to commit that undesignated gift to sending missionaries worldwide, internationally. So that the total that we gave away in 2017 is $52,242.82. It's a big deal. That is a big deal. Uh, what would it take for you to give away $52,000? And recognize, this is, why I, this is why I want to point you to this. I want you to point you with this. There's many of you, because you've never really felt the reality 
that I'm talking about this, this compelling encounter with Christ because you've never actually thought about what it means to be sent. You've never gotten out of your comfort zone. And as a consumer, self-proclaimed Christian, you're just, you're just becoming spiritually obese, wanting always to be fed, never wanting to encounter Christ in any meaningful way that you'll be transformed to display his image to the nations. And right now you are suffering and you're like, even now you're bored. You're like, I don't, he just, he's talking about this Jesus, but I'm talking about a foreign concept for you. And I want to encourage, you'll never know what this is. You'll never know this real joy, this real thing that he's called us to for his glory until you get out of your comfort zone. As Jesus pries the idol of comfort and approval out of your hand, he replaces it with something much more glorious, a deeper and eternal joy. And many of you have never felt this reality that I'm talking about because you've never gotten out of your comfort zone. But with respect to sacrificially sending, the same could be said for many of you. Now here's the fun part. This is where I get to like, get excited. I know some of you have never given to anything in your entire life. And this is the first thing you've ever given to. And that's beautiful because that's a big number. Because there's none of you that drive Ferraris. I, I checked. Unless... <laughs> Unless I'm wrong, in which case, come, let's talk, I want to drive your car. <laughs> but that's not who we are. In fact, there's not a lot of those people in Sioux Falls. And so I'm not so sure we should look that way. We should look like Sioux Falls looks. And as we do, we sacrificially are sent to it and also sending from it. And so I know for some of you to give sacrificially, this is a big deal. Now here, I know for some of you, you're thinking, well, I'd love to give, but I'm just not where I can financially. All right, cool. Just so happens, on the 28th of this month, we want to resource you through, through Financial Peace University, Dave Ramsey, and we want to equip you. Again, we don't want to get rich. We just want to give. We want to be a part of what God's doing. We want to fund it. We want to invest in it. But maybe if you're thinking, I don't want to give, but can I encourage you? Please settle that. Please repent of that. Or please know that your soul is in danger. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying, don't bend my words. I'm not saying giving will save you. But I am saying very clearly that giving is the evidence that God has saved you. Did you catch that? We behold him, we start to look like him. Behold him, the one who withheld nothing. Who gave even his life. And then we start to look like him. The way we talk about this in the life of our church is a principled, proportional investment of your time, treasure, and talents. Principled, proportional. Where do I get that? Well, uh, tithing isn't in the Bible. And some people will ask. They'll say something like, well, do you, uh, do you preach on tithing? And I'm no. I say, no, I preach on Jesus. Okay? And then as a result of what Jesus has done, we're changed into his likeness. And this is what this looks like as Paul was encouraging in 2 Corinthians 9, this church, he says, the point is this. What's the point? Is it to tithe? Is it, what is the point? The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Right? This isn't just an external thing. This isn't about money. This is about your soul. Not reluctantly or under compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver. So if it's not to this church, then please be sent. Let us send you to a church you do love, you do want to invest in, and give of your time, treasure, and talent to them. But please, you do not have the option to withhold giving. You do not have the option. 
And if you think that's an option, I want to warn you, your soul is in danger. You haven't seen Jesus. Notice what this is. This is not, this is not an end of year, please give to make up the end of our budget, okay? It's not what this is. We've already celebrated massive generosity as a church plant. This is quite the opposite. This is, look at what God has done. Look at how generously he has motivated us to be. And now let's just dream about what God could do through it. Right? So as they pass the basket, I try to remind you of this all the time. Like, we don't give out of guilt, right? We don't give guilt offerings. Why? Jesus was our guilt offering. And we give free from guilt. We don't give, we don't give sin offerings. You know why? Jesus was our sin offering. And that frees us up to give generously and sacrificially. We don't give peace offerings. You know why? Jesus, he, him, he himself is our peace. And then we, now we get to be that, that minister of reconciliation to the world. So I'm not, I'm, getting, make sure, I'm not telling you, hey, we're really struggling in the budget and let's catch up. That is not what I'm saying. I am saying the exact opposite. Look at what God is doing. Let it change you. Behold him. And then give generously. You say, well, Jesus didn't tithe. Yeah, well, Son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus was homeless. And, and if you want to be homeless for the sake of the gospel, I promise you our church will resource you. Dead, if, you really, if you're like, well, Jesus didn't give. Yeah, he gave his life. Or we'll give your life and we'll fund it. I promise. Like, I'm homeless for Jesus. Cool. Now, we'll, we have, there's a group of people who generously support that. Sacrificially sending. I promise if you're homeless because you were lazy or foolish, then I'll tell you what 1 Thessalonians says, no work, no eat. But if, not when, or excuse me, when, not if, when you start to make sacrifices for the sake of the gospel, you will find this group of people to be the most generous and supportive of any other you've seen. I tell you, people ask on a regular basis, do you preach on tithing? And I say, no, I preach on Jesus. Because I can't see his sacrificial giving on my behalf and then hold on to anything greedily. I can't really behold him on the cross, taking my place, and then withholding something from him. Jesus says it this way, if you want to save your life, you'll be willing to lose it. And then you'll find that when you lose it, you'll actually find it. When you stop holding on to this little measly life, God grants us a greater, more powerful, eternal one. Because when we see him as he is, did you catch that? We start to look like him. So friend, if you find yourself holding tightly to things and not even wanting to either be sacrificially sent or sacrificially sinned, behold him. You can't see him taking your place. You can't see him absorbing God's wrath on your behalf and not be changed. You can't see him looking at you, not in revenge, but in compassion, saying, forgive them. Forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. And not be softened. So join me. Behold him. So that as he says, as with me, sacrificially being sent and sacrificially sending, so also with you. Let's pray together. God, more than anything else, we just want to thank you. Uh, we are the recipients of such generosity. 
we are the recipients of this landed invasion to destroy the enemy that hovers over us. We're the recipients of other people's generosity, even in tangible, concrete ways, people that have invested financially into the life of this church, people who are not even, that live in all across this country who have invested in seeing the gospel multiply in Sioux Falls. We're the recipients of that. Even those of us in this room that would call ourselves Christians, we're just the recipients of someone who faithfully shared the gospel and pointed us towards Jesus. We have so much to be thankful for, God. We thank you that you have not withheld yourself, but instead sacrificed even the most prized possession, yourself made flesh and your son, Jesus Christ, so that we would know you, that we would behold you as you truly are. So for some in this room, would you even now begin to show yourself to them, appear to them in a powerful way such that they are changed. May, may today be one of the first days their eyes are open to who you really are. That You're not a God out to destroy them, but instead you are a God who desires to be glorified by redeeming them, restoring them, and drawing them into your family. Now do that today. Would they look to you and trust that you are who you said you are? And as you came to save and redeem, would you begin to open their eyes? Allow them to contemplate the plausibility that you are who you say you are. And as they encounter you, open their eyes and change them, shape them more and more to be like you. For the rest of us, we just thank you for saving us. And we ask that you would now let that saving grace, that generosity, that sacrificial investment into uh, just a, a lost cause like us is such a great act of grace that it now overflows to the generosity we experience. May that change the way we see our time that you've allotted to us, the treasure that you've put into our hands, and even the talent, the gifts, the way that you've given us life and breath. May we see the price that you've paid on our behalf and be willing to generously let that multiply for your glory. May we not encounter you and be left changed. May we truly encounter you and be sacrificially sent and sacrificially sending. We love you for this. In Jesus' name, amen.